Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we try to bring you Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological fashion. Uh, this week we are talking about episode four through six of Zero Eighth MS Team. Um, we got uh, me, I'm Lane, we've got Scotty P, and we've got Luke. Um, and we are going to resume. So I'm going to bro down in this Federation camp, bro. <laughs> yeah so at the end of episode three <laughs> they they finished they took out that village worked with the uh gorillas and um yeah so episode four we we actually start off with Xeon this time um we get them we we get to see a uh a test flight of the opsilus the opsilus one i believe right so they yeah. don't call it the Opsilus one. It's just Opsilus at this point. That was more of a question for my own edification. <laughs> yes. Um, because later on, there's, what, up to like four, three? I don't know. Three, I think. Yeah. It really only appears to be two in the show, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it, the, we see the test flight. It's pretty cool. It's like a giant mobile suit, but we don't get like a really good view of it at this point. Um, I mean, it's just your general ugly Xeon mobile armor. It's a. It like, looks. It looks like um, an acorn or something. No, I was gonna say it looks similar to um, Samus's spaceship from Super Metroid. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. In the shape. In the okay. Shape. The general outline, yes. Yeah. Otherwise, it looks like a mound of stuff with the Zaku head plopped onto the front. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's pretty much that for right now. Um, it just kind of sets up the fact that the Opsilus is a thing, and they're testing it. Um, so we jump back to the Federation camp, and um, the other people, the other teams, are giving Sanders a hard time, calling him the Reaper. He's getting butt hurt. He's like, "What? Well, you know, you know, call me that again, and I'll punch you in the face." And the guy does, and so Sanders punches yeah. him in the face. Yeah. Uh, so the uh the the team that is kind of heckling Sanders is the seventh team and they are very minor recurring characters um but we'll uh, we'll see them again so it does note that they're the seventh team they have names but I never even wrote them down. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I always just note that it's the zero the seventh team essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so we see Shiro hearing oh there's a brawl going on you you, sh- you need to go stop it. So um of course, he runs and uh, joins in. <laughs> I note that uh, Mikel or whatever his name is, um, his solution was not "let me get involved." It was "let me run and get someone else to get involved." <laughs> and why I don't like this character, but yeah, Shiro just runs up and immediately is like, "Hey, knock it off!" and punches a guy in the face. <laughs> yeah. He's standing up for his his crew, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, so the the really important part of the scene, though, is that you get the character development with Sanders, where you learn that he's called the Reaper not because of his kill count, but because everyone else in his other units dies. Yes. Um, You also get to see the old drunk guy pocketing a whole bunch of money from the fight. (laughs) He's taking bets and then just kind of walks off. Yeah, yeah, when when the fight gets broken up, he basically like takes the money that was in his hat and puts it on his head. But now Shiro does bro up for this bro down 
because when the commander Kojima comes and busts it up, he says, sir, we're just having a friendly competition, sir, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's He, he definitely stands up for everybody in that one, even though like he was just punching them. So, um, disagreement, bro. Respect each other. <laughs> um, so we jump back to Xeon really quickly. Um, we get to see, uh, as I note, creepy guy Yuri uh, shows up, and now that the Opsilus is flying, he t- says he wants to fly it. Um, Did they even say why he was there? So he, they said he came. I think he came from Europe, right? Yeah, I don't think it's exactly in the. Uh, no, no, he. I think this is before. So he came. Yeah, he came. So he came from Europe. Odessa hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but he is an admiral in uh, Zeon's European theater. Um, and this party is because the first phase of that Opsilus project is complete. And so this is like your Zeon you know, snobby, ridiculous, high society party that we see a couple of times in Mobile Suit Gundam. And and it it seems they they don't spell out what the relationship is, but Yuri has some sort of relationship with um, Sahalin. Not the girl, but what's the guy's name? His Guineas. What's that? Guineas. Guineas. Yeah, they have some sort of relationship um, where he has a lot of influence over Guineas. Yeah, the dialogue in this scene is bad it's really bad it's yeah. very um so yeah so um now we're back to federation again um this episode jumps around a lot so uh it's it's a big setup for like what's going on down the line i think but um yeah so sanders is basically being um a, a pussy at this point basically saying like i i'm going to i need to quit the 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 unit you know, the reason they call me a Reaper is because every time I, I go on a th- my third mission with my unit, everybody dies. Um, so this is kind of like the, the, the whole thing behind his character is um, three, three missions and out because everybody else is dead. So Karen just basically beats the shit out of him. Um, kicks him in the nuts, just yeah. square in the nuts. Uh, and, yeah, and basically tells him to man up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, and and Chiro shows up and is basically like, uh, yeah, man up, and <laughs> let's go. <laughs> uh, so one, one thing that we did skip over, the um, Zaku pilot Norris from the end of episode three, you do see him in that Xeon party because at some point, you know, like, uh, Admiral Kalane, who they say Kalane or Kalame in the dub, and it's spelled like Kalern. So anyway... Uh, Kalame is kind of like creeping on Aina a little bit during this. And so she excuses herself and uh, you see this guy Norris, that was the pilot that Shiro was fighting in the river uh, escorting her. And so you kind of learn like just through that context that, you know, there's a, a like almost like a guardian kind of relationship there. And, uh, you know, Aina's talking about how she's worried about Kalerne breaking Guinness's concentration or whatnot. Right. You know, Norris is like, oh, your family's going to win the war. And um, that part made me think a bit of when we looked at uh, assassination of Girin. And uh, we kind of learned there that the Sahalin family is pretty influential in Zeon and kind of close to the Zabis. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, now we see um, Ina is piloting the Opsilus again, doing more test flights with it. 
uh, and it malfunctions. It basically she gets uh, to the point where she she can't like change the uh, the the, 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 like the velocity or anything like that. So it's basically she's stuck going in one direction, like she's going into a free fall. Um, I think she wanted to like pull up or like maintain altitude and she couldn't. Um, I think think she breaks out of the free fall, but is unable to like raise her velocity. So she can't like get back up and into the atmosphere. Yeah. They know that they're heading towards the Federation base. Yeah. So what you've got going on is that there is a ground escort for the Opsilus at this point. There isn't, there's an air escort, just some little dops. Right. Um, but there are Zakus on the ground on the flight path. And so the eighth team detects the Zakus and they're on the way to intercept. And the Opsilus is, uh, all they know is that it's telemetry problems. I mean, you can see that it's telemetry problems, but that's the yeah. only thing they verbally note. And as uh, she descends, starts to broadcast Minovsky particles. Um, and so you can kind of see like, oh, they're, like they're thinking the eighth team might think some stuff's about to go down at that point. <laughs> um and then it doesn't. Yeah. So the 08th MS team in, engages the Zakus. The Zakus try to lead the um, the MS team away, but they don't they don't go away at this point. They basically say, "No, we we see this thing coming. Um, we're going to engage it." Um, and Karen Karen's MS just gets blown to shreds, pretty much. Um, and at this point, um, Ina has a chance to kind of escape, but she's like, nah, we're going to fight. Um, cause she more or less has control of control of the Opsilus again. Um, so this is where Sanders starts freaking out. You know, so, you know, the, the, the prophecy, it's his third mission. Everybody's going to die. And, 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 uh, Karen's already mobile suits already been pretty much decommissioned at this point. Um, so of course he has he has to like go um, super saiyan mode, and uh, he he has like a long gun that he like unloads into the Opsilus, and then he pulls out his beam saber and cuts a giant hole in it, and then um, he gets like kicked away, but he's done enough damage that the team is able to like unload on the the Opsilus, and and Ina's forced to uh, retreat and. Um, the, the Reaper's curse is broken. Yeah, so there's a moment in here on the whole Reaper curse thing. So um, yeah, there is a, a break in the scene here when you see the Opsilus having problems. And so the scene break is just basically that Kalame or Kalerne is leaving for Europe again. So he's going to Odessa. So that gives you another time like of what when this is happening. So then you, when you go back to the team, they're, set, they're trying to set up an ambush for the Opsilus. Right. Surprise, Elador picks up the aerial noise in the hover truck, and then Mikkel, because he is so worried about this, like, curse of the Reaper, starts shooting at the dops on the hover truck gun, bef- like, way before anybody's supposed to be doing anything. Uh, and Elador calls him, and I quote, a stupid shit. <laughs> did, so, did you get the impression um, from Yuri when he left that he may have sabotaged? The Absolus? No, I I kind of got weird vibes. Like it never spells it out, but it it sounded like to me. I got the vibe that he wanted to pilot it and was pissed off and 
or and or may have been sent to do some damage to it. Something along those lines. I I didn't get like a clean like a clean exit from him. It is a Giran project that we learn later, and he is going back to a theater of war that Makube is in charge of, and Makube is a Cassilia, um, you know, guy, and so I think so. I, what now? What you could have there is that, and we'll get into this in a little bit. There may have been intention for that to be something, mm-hmm. and then it just it ends up it never was. Yeah, it was just it. It seemed like there was subtext there that was never explicitly said. But like I like when it when the way he walked out of that scene, I was like, oh, he knows what's going on, type thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. I could see thinking that. Um, yeah, it, it could be foreshadowing for plans that got changed. Yeah. So uh, the the big things that I got really the feeling of, um, she made a comment about how the the dude, uh, what did you say his name was Yuri? Yeah. Yeah. So Yuri like really distracts um, her brother, and so I kind of I kind of took it as um, him being there distracted him and threw him off his game, and then something happened and it caused like he couldn't do something he needed to do on the Absolus. Also, did confirm. Uh, that the one that crashed in this episode was the Absolus 2, and the one we saw in the last episode was the Absolus 1. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, the show doesn't make that... They don't ever say it. I only know that because I looked it up. <laughs> well, right. I, guess I, I guess I used the term confirmed. I looked it up, so this thing I read said that it was the Absolus 2. The Googs. Um, yeah, so that's the end of the episode. Ina retreating is the end of episode four. Um, and I was, I was telling, uh, Scotty and Luke, I was before this episode, we started recording episode five and the first half of six aren't my favorite episodes. So Scotty's probably going to have a handful of moments where he says, Lane, I knew you wouldn't take notes during this part. So here we go. I did did not. Um, I, I can't say that I did during either of these, but, um, I mean, just some like real life stuff that happens here the director of the show changes at this point yep and gundam shows when the director changes midway bad things happen and we'll talk about that more when we get to 0083 but um now unfortunately in this case the director change uh is because the other director died mm-hmm. so that's a that was the unfortunate part and that's uh was kind of some of my foreshadowing when you're talking about yuri was it's completely possible that was going to be a plot point and ended up not being able to happen because of the change of, you of direction. Think, you would think that they'd have these things like storyboarded out like way in advance. The, the way it seems like a lot of these things go with, with Gundam is like, it's almost like fly by the, the seat of their pants instead of like, all right, here's a story. Here's like the show, like, overarching story here's what's going to happen and it just seems like they basically are like yeah we've got this suit let's let's write this episode let's write this next episode well so the the other thing that's going on at this point so episode four is october of 96 episode five is november of 96 so you got to figure the previous director would have still had his hands in this episode some Mm -hmm. or at least plenty i would hope and the other thing that does kind of go on here is that um, this is right. This ends up being uh, episode five released close to the end of Gundam X's run. It wasn't supposed to be. 
So Gundam X is in the middle of crashing and burning as a ratings failure. Hmm. Um, and that's the main TV show. Uh, you know, this was a VHS OBA release kind of thing. So I think that may have a little bit to do with some of the change in, you know, pacing and the story direction to me, uh, not quite yet at episode five, but really starting with episode six, I think changes, um, you know, to, to start to just really focus on something else other than what it was doing. And, uh, I think a lot of those outside factors kind of come into play there. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So episode five starts off with, um, Elador our our heavy metal cassette wielding, um, truck pilot or truck, um, driver, um, getting a letter that his song is going to be recorded. Um, I think this is the first indication that we have that he's actually a musician and not just like some guy that listens to a lot of music. I think um, he made a comment about like he's going to be fit like a like a famous musician or something like that one day or something yeah. like that. But nobody takes it seriously, including the right. viewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he gets a letter that his song is going to get recorded, and he's pumped. Um, so he and Mikkel get together. And they're like, let's go celebrate, but let's not tell anybody that we're going to go celebrate. Uh, and they leave the base and go off to a nearby village to go get drunk. And um, of course, their entire team is like, where the hell are these guys? We've got to find them. <laughs> well, they kick the they kick the the door into the bar. Basically, they're like, time to party. And then, like, the place is like ransacked, and they immediately get ambushed by. Uh... Zeeks, as they call them, by the way, that's the the racial term for Zeons that is used throughout the series. If we haven't mentioned that yet, no, I don't think we haven't. I think this is the only show that calls him that, isn't it? I don't, I don't. Uh, remember. I think the pretty much anything that has a Federation soldier referring to a Zeon has they've used the term Zeke. It's in other things. I, yeah. It's just, yeah, I just don't remember it. I have a really short, shitty memory. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks, Scotty. No, um, hey. I do too. That's why I have for this one 12 episode series, 13 pages of 14 of handwritten notes. No, I was blaming you for my short term memory. Uh, um, I, know, <laughs> I know. And I was glossing over it. Is that 13 pages for the episodes we've talked about so far or for the whole series? For the whole series. We're on, That's we're on just, just kind of handily on five for episode five. <laughs> so, um, and if I skip over something that's important, because again, this, this was like, it was, wasn't a bad episode, but it wasn't one that would like really drew me in. Um, so Zeon, we, we get a flash to Zeon basically controlling this village. Um, we, we see, um, uh, Ina they're, they're basically at this point, they're performing repairs on the Apsilis. So that's why this village is under Zeon control. Um, but we, we see a scene that's actually really ambiguous where, um, this lady and her baby are trying to escape the village and go to a doctor. Um, and the, they don't show what happens, but you hear gunshots. So they're either scaring her off or they murdered the lady and her baby. Um, the way that everyone reacted, I think they were just scaring her off. Cause she's like, is that really necessary? She wasn't like horrified that they murdered a baby, but she also wasn't in like, sight of them oh, no, she's standing right behind him like there's one scene where it's like, looking over her shoulder and she's staring right at right at him she's like 30 uh, feet away i i, I missed that then because i, I very very brief like very brief moment 
I didn't even register it as important. It was just like, oh, look, the Zeons have occupied a place and they're being shitty to the people that live there. Well, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, we see that Mikkel and Elador are taken prisoner. They're being, like, uh, tortured or beaten up. Not really. It makes it sound like they're being tortured, but when you see them, it just sounds like they're getting the crap beat out of them by the Zeon soldiers. Yeah. And- it definitely sounded like torture and then it popped in. They were like standing there with no one around them and they weren't tied up and they had like a bruise on their face. And I'm like, they're, they're being wusses. Okay. Look, these guys are not. Mikkel and Elador are a far cry from even Sanders and Karen in their own unit. Like these guys are not soldiers. Right. Right. I mean, they are literally, but they're not your, the ideal soldier. They're not career soldiers. They were like conscripted in the military. Again, this is this is kind of like another allusion to like the Vietnam War, where like all these people that weren't really like people that would you would normally think of as as a professional soldier that you have now. Um, these guys were just like probably pulled out of their home, saying, "Hey, listen, you're in shape. Go go fight this war and learn this skill and kill people." And these guys are like, "Uh, <laughs> okay," or maybe just fleeing side too. They don't want their colony dropped. Um, yeah, who knows? But um, yeah, they end up kind of giving you the. I think a lot of this episode is to give you characterization on them, especially Elador, um, because it all is kind of centered around his record deal. And um, you know, one of the things that is uh, kind of foreshadowed early in the early in the episode is that when uh, Gidon, who's the uh, old man mechanic, the drunk one, uh, recurring character, not a ton, but again, he's he crops up again here. He's the one that says that they have mail and Mikel goes to get the mail because he thinks he's going to have a letter from BB. And uh, uh, while he does that, he's telling Elador about Maria, who is totally his girlfriend in a nearby village. And she is totally not just some old lady. Um, so what ends up happening is after Elador and Mikel have been interrogated, someone brings them food in their little like cell room thing. And that, that turns out to be Maria. Right. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, uh, Karen and um, everybody's basically staking out this village because th- they assume that everybody's there because they find out that Zeon is occupying this village. Um, and they basically jump Kiki at this point because they didn't know it was Kiki. She was like riding her motorcycle into the village and Karen beats the shit out of Kiki and is like, oops. She like, she like knife tackled her. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the, at the, motorcycle in the dark, which was badass. Pretty legit. There's normally you would think there's some broken bones involved, but you know, uh, uh, that motorcycle went down hard. Karen is <laughs> the most badass person on the eighth team. Oh yeah. She seems to be the only like real soldier. I don't know. Shiro and and um, Sanders are good at what they're supposed to be doing too. Well, um, I think other people are talented, but she's the only one that seems like a real soldier. It's yeah. She's the only one that's like she's she's there hard man. You know, she's not a man, but she's the only one that wants to be there. I think, and uh, like Shiro is, he's like as we see later, he's not super dedicated to the cause, and then. Uh, I guess Sanders a little bit, but he's like, he's got that like really hard survivor's guilt thing going on. So he's always kind of second guessing everything. He's not that 
Right. Mm-hmm. And Elidor, so, in the meantime, is having a breakdown. What's that? That Elidor, in the meantime, in the episode here, is having a breakdown. Oh, yeah. Him and Michelle. Yeah. He can't handle the thought of not, not getting his song played on the radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So him and Mikkel like get into it and start beating the shit out of each other once they're locked up. And uh, a guard shows up and um, a comedy scene ensues where uh, they accidentally punch the Xeon guard and are able to get out of their capture or their um, their scene, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the Xeon guards here are as bad as all of the Federation white base guards. They're just, no one is good at guarding. Yeah. So they get out. Um, and around the same time, op- the Opsilus, the uh, repairs are finished and it flies away. Um, at this time, everybody knows that these guys are escaping. Um, the eighth team is kind of engaging the, the village as well. Um, so you kind of get like, um, the eighth team is kind of like, and actually everybody at this point is kind of like in the woods. So there's a lot of chaos going on. Right. So, um, uh, Elador and Mikkel jump in like, was it like a construction bot or something like that? It's like, it is called a Zaku tank. Zaku tank. It, lo- it looks like a crane, like a construction crane. Yeah, it like a, like a crane. I guess it was a Zaku here, here's what a Zaku tank is. They have a, imagine you have a Magella attack tank, right? Which is the tank with the small jet that pops off of the top that you see elsewhere in this series in Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. Okay. So imagine that has had the top fly off with the tank intact and perfectly fine. Somebody blows the top off or blows that part up, but you still have a perfectly fine tank bottom. Now imagine you have a Zaku. The Zaku steps on a mine and is blown up and the legs are ruined, but the top half is still perfectly fine. So you take the top half of the Zaku, mount it to the tank part of the Magella attack, and you get a Zaku tank. And then sometimes they'll put different arms on them at that point. But that is that is literally what that is. It looked like a construction crane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like the mobile worker that you see in Origin. Mm. Yeah, so essentially, like, they jump in this thing and are trying to just not get killed at this point. Because, um, yeah. like, there's just chaos around them. It's it's night. Um, they can't really see what's going on. Um, and they're not in a anything that can actually do much damage to anything. Um, so, and, and, and the chaos... The, chaos of the battle um elador gets a shard of glass implanted in his leg and he gets hit by a bullet and um but damn it he's gonna get his song played so he he manages to um get out of the situation and survive. Like, I don't know how to put it other than he, they survive. And, um, well, what happens is so he's been hit and he, uh, is able to get out at least enough of a shot to like take out, you know, whatever was attacking him, uh, uh, armored, I put armored car. That doesn't sound right, but maybe that's what happened. Cause it's what I wrote down. And no, I think there was like a car with a handful of soldiers in it that were driving towards him and shooting at him. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Got it. Thank you. Um, but he ends up collapsing 
but he's been able to take out the enemy as he collapses. And so then once the team has kind of tracked them down, um, Karen starts to kind of treat his injuries because uh, some little bit of character development for her. She used to be a med student. And then uh, the old guy, Jeden says that, you know, oh, her husband was a great surgeon before he died. So I guess for whatever reason, surgeons have transitive property now. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, basically he's uh, they're able to get to him and give him some like first aid treatment before they take him to a field hospital. Um, and this is also the part where so this show does not have bright Noah, unfortunately, but we still have a slap. We have a Shiro slap. And he slaps Mikkel and scolds him for going out without permission. It's kind of a weak slap, though. You forgot you, you forgot the tit grab, too. I hadn't write down the tit grab. Elador uh, yeah. definitely grabs uh, Karen's tit, and she's, like, really freaked out. The only thing I didn't like about that was it kind of implied that he fell in love with her after he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now, as he mentions later, all of the girls at the field hospital are really, really ugly. Some of the biggest heifers you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he basically gets gets medically kicked out for a while, and um, he drives off into the distance, and that's episode five. Um Yeah. So if you've liked the show to this point, um, it's not like this anymore. <laughs> uh, episodes two through five, I think, kind of have this. They have a pretty uniform feel. I think, you know, the first one is exposition. And you have the stuff in outer space and then you get to Earth. And you have episodes two through five. And I think the, these are when you think of the eighth MS team, these are probably the episodes you kind of think of first when you just like it just pops into your head um, because this is the, this is most of the Vietnam kind of stuff. I mean, there is some more of it later, but yeah, I think the highest concentration of it is these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. Episode five isn't my favorite one, but it's, yeah, it's, it's still not bad. Uh, this whole series isn't bad in my opinion. This is one of the better series we've got. Um. Then we talk about the first half of episode six, which is my least favorite part of what we've seen so far. Um, so let's go into it. Um, episode six, they start off, they're looking for the Opsilus. Um, they're basically, they've, they've conscribed Kiki to like reach out and talk to like locals in the area because there's been sightings of the Opsilus. Mm-hmm. Um, the desert. Yeah. And this is like out of nowhere too. This is like a very like random jump because it it, it was weird. I, I, for some reason accidentally watched episode six before episode five and it still made as much sense as it made watching after episode five, uh, you know, switching them around. Um, Cause it's just kind of like jarring, um, the, not jarring in a bad way. It's just like, there's no lead up to it. That's basically this, the yep. show starts off with her talking to this guy and getting some information. You're coming in in medias raws of something that you did not see them get to from the end of the pr- the prior episode. Right. Um, and it's also suddenly in a desert. Outside yeah. of the jungle into a desert. What's that? Uh, yeah, they were out of, they're out of the jungle suddenly and in, into a desert. Yeah, I don't I mean, this is fiction world, so I can't question it too much. But so they were in Southeast Asia, but now they're in a desert. 
So if the, if if you go further, not necessarily Southeast Asia. Well, I guess parts of Thailand might have desert, but definitely if you talk about going north in in Asia, like towards like Mongolia, there's like the Gobi Desert. What about what about China? Is there anywhere in China like South? Oh, the Gobi the Gobi Desert's part of China as well. Okay, okay, because that's kind of just in my head, like where this ends up happening to make any kind of geographic sense. But we also have to consider. Uh, decently close to Australia, so I can buy that a desert has happened because of yeah a drop or something. Yeah, I I think they just needed a desert scene, so they made <laughs> they made the Earth have desert. Yeah. Oh, the storyboards and said this will never work in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so Mikkel is obviously distracted at this point. Um, they they don't fully say what's going on with him, other than like it shows him like trying to write a letter or something along those lines, and and just being he's basically just fucking everything up. Um, and I and I have a note that Kiki is doing nasty things with Armada. She's basically like flirting with him and like trying to like take his clothes off and all sorts of stuff. And yeah, she went from uh, being creeped out by him to being all up in that business yeah she's uh she's all over it she's like super blatant about it like come on take your shirt off just do it it's fine (laughs) yeah she's being really 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 flirty here and uh you know like karen can hear it on the comms and she's a just a big angry lesbian at this point and it's like oh god um though she had a husband come on i know i know i know i know um (laughs) but anyway and and uh the stuff that you have with Mikael going on here. So like he's been looking at a letter so you can kind of figure out like what's probably happening here. Right. Um, you know, cause uh, later Kiki ends up grabbing it from him and then running off and starts reading it. And BB's kind of like starting to say where she's worried, you know, what if something happens to him? Maybe they shouldn't keep this up. And she kind of stops reading it, but you can guess where the letter goes from there. Yeah. You know, by the way, paused it to try and read the letter and it's in French. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I couldn't read it, but I saw like a few French words and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's... I may I may go back and have uh, have the wife read it. I want someone to Photoshop it to be uh, the letter Kai reads in Zeta. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like Kiki stops reading it like, oh. I get it. So, be- yeah. Uh, but but another weird part is like Mikkel and and some of the other guys in the unit are like pissed off at Shiro for not hooking up with Kiki essentially. Like they get mad at him. They're like yelling at him, saying like, "Oh, you're not considering her feelings." Yada yada yada. It's like uh, I got. I thought it was weird. So here's here's kind of like the way this goes down. So a lot of this episode is a stakeout. Essentially, yeah. and this becomes a multi-day stakeout. Sorry, there's some kind of bug in here flying around me. No. Five days, I think they said. Yeah, and you've already got you know, um, like they're having to work on Shiro's Gundam's foot pretty early on, um, you know, because they they're in the desert, so they're out somewhere. They're having to fix a mobile suit. Um, you know, they know the enemy is somewhere using this as a testing ground. Uh, Mikael is, you know, emotionally distraught and he's feeling overworked. Um, you know, Kiki's there with other gorillas and they're like, well, we're going to leave. And she sticks around because she's all into Shiro and Shiro has his mind not on her. Um, 
so you kind of have this thing where it, I think the pacing of this part of the episode is it's uh, just trying to show you that they're getting like worn down. They're going to be frustrated with one another. They're spending a lot of time with only these people and generally kind of close quarters. And um, so, you know, Mikhail is talking about how he really wants to um, mail a letter and Shiro's like, you can't leave. We're on a stakeout. You can't like leave and go find a town to mail a letter. And Kiki gets pissed off at um, Shiro because he's being a dick to Mikkel. And um, I think it's Kiki being frustrated that Shiro isn't reciprocating the feelings she is showing. Right. And it's because she's able to empathize with Mikkel in this case. And then Mikkel calls Shiro out on being a dick. Um, so Sanders throws him. Um, Rather easily, I'll, I'll, I'll add. Yeah. Uh, and it, he uh, he also then do, decides at this point that because of the operation that they're on, that he will man the hover truck um, and ha- and let Mikkel, he's going to let him take his ground Gundam uh, for uh, this operation. So uh, and it ends up being uh, th- that night Sanders and then Kiki in the hover truck. And you get some of like the only interaction those characters will ever have. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially they, had, they at this point they had found um, where the Opsilus training grounds were. Like they saw basically the the wreckage and carnage of where I guess it had been like just test firing and blowing like mobile suits up. Um, and they knew more or less that it was supposed to be coming down this ravine that they were staking out. Um, well, they, they found it and then they uh, figured out that there was like beam damage in it so they see places where it looks like the sand has been turned into glass yeah mm-hmm. well and they also see like burnt out mobile suits too right i thought i saw a, like a little a brief scene with that I, I i can i can believe that it happened and i was yeah. looking down at the paper writing notes but anyhow so this last night uh at of the stakeout which we don't know it's the last night at that point but it is um so you know kiki's in the hover truck with sanders and um, Shiro is looking at the Ina's watch and he sees a picture. He finally finds out there's a picture in there just now. And he sees it's Ina and Guineas and wonders if it's her boyfriend. <laughs> um, and then you have a moment where Elidor's song comes on the radio and you find out that he called from the hospital and requested his own song. Uh, so you get some Elidor characterization, even though he's not in the episode. So, I mean, I'm looking at like my handwritten notes. Um, so by the time the next day, the dawn of the next day or the morning uh, I'm looking at my notes and this is at least 80% of the episode gone by. So if oh, you, yeah, yeah. But if you're like Lane and you don't like episodes that have subtle character moment drama um, for a long stretch of time, uh, then you will not like this episode. Yeah. It's slow. It's slow. I, I will. Admit. It, it's got a lot of character building. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that, but yeah. Um, for a rewatch, it's slow. Um, that that is very fair. I, w- I would say it didn't the the pace of it didn't bother me at all. I actually really enjoyed. It was the first episode where I was like, "Man, I can't wait to watch the next episode." Yeah, I couldn't wa- wait to watch the next episode either. <laughs> <laughs> I really waited several days, but anyhow. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, they the Opsilus is coming by, they, they detect it, they launch their sneak attack on it. Um, basically like 
they launch these balloons and then they launch like a, a net um, oh, that were to 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 dump Minovsky particles. I think that's what they said they did. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, they am they ambush the the Opsilus, um and engage it. Um, Mikkel gets a few hits off on it, I think. Well, so what they're trying to do here is the Opsilus has to break very suddenly so that it doesn't run into that net. net. And they know that it will probably be able to do that. So they have Mikkel waiting to shoot at it. And he does that. And what they're trying to do is they have forced it to descend. And Shiro is there waiting to take it out when it's descending into that ravine and doesn't have any other place to defend itself. Yeah. Um, and I think Mikkel, he thought he was going to get a better hit on it than he did because he really only glanced the top of it. Yeah, yep. Um, so he doesn't get a great shot. So the, I think the idea was to kind of have it wounded and then in that ravine and trapped with nowhere to go. Uh, now the, there are dops that are guarding it. And so um, there are two of them and they kind of are able to intercept and it messes up their plan a little bit. Now why they didn't plan for any kind of escort when it's always had an escort. Yeah, I whatever. Um so anyway, but yeah, escorts out. What's that? They do manage to take the escorts out. Yeah, Kiki gets one of them. I don't remember who gets the other, but um or maybe it was Norris and it's neat. nobody gets that one. I don't remember. But uh really at this point you have what becomes a kind of pivotal moment in the episode in the series because Shiro uh, not being able to get a, um, you know, really he, what he's trying to do is, um, you know, not just take the Opsilus out at this point, but he notices it is uh, targeting Mikkel. So he jumps on it to throw it off enough so that it uh, misses. Um, and so they kind of start to fight and kind of this neat thing where he's on the side of it and the Opsilus goes into the side of the ravine. And like, you see the ground Gundam just getting like shaken up and like dragged you know, in between the Opsilus and this can- canyon thing. He basically gets curb stomped. Yep. But then Ana goes over the comm and says, hey, you idiot, you're going to get both of us killed. And he's like, oh, oh, it's my, my space crush. Let's bang. <laughs> yep. And then they go up and then they go down and up and down. And, up. and then it's a cliffhanger ending. Yeah. And we don't get any Kenny G music at the end of it, which is disappointing. Nope. There's still time. <laughs> that's next episode. <laughs> uh, but then the other part here that's really fun to look at in retrospect. So every episode we've covered came out in 1996. All these first six. Uh, episode seven, which is not a topic of this new type flash episode. Uh, but that came out in October of 1997. Hello, time gap. I mean, it's not that big of a time gap considering what uni- we were just talking about unicorn and those were like every year or so. It's not that bad of a time gap if you weren't watching it every week. Well, yeah, it was coming out. Well, they were coming out like once every month or month or, or, or two, right? Originally, yeah, yeah. it was it was like I said, you know, at least a, I think a few months in between at worst. But uh, that uh, you know, ten almost eleventh month gap. That's a yeah. Well, considering these are only twenty-minute episodes, right? Like, yeah, it, it's not like a it's it's not like Unicorn where you're watching an hour, uh, hour and a half show, depending on you know, like, it, yeah, twenty minutes 
from 11 months ago. Right. I, I have no problems remembering it. <laughs> he watched it in English. He watched it within about a week, which is not yeah. so bad. But the original air date, it was uh, the first two episodes were January 25th, 1996. The second two episodes were March 25th, 1996. Then uh, episode five was October 25th. Episode six was December 18th. And then episode seven was October 25th, 97. And then it kind of just went uh, month by month after that. Mm -hmm. So they just had a weird, uh, you know, was that when the guy died? Yeah, yeah. That could have been why. So I think it was he 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 died before uh, six came out. I think maybe even before five came out. But I think what you're probably seeing some in that gap is that uh, like the regrouping, right? Yeah. And, and also by the time you get past six, you're at the as I mentioned the outside factors. Gundam X has now been canceled. Like it is going off the air early. So it's a. Uh, Maybe some kind of reevaluating of uh, do we need to do something different on this other show to, um, you know, make it be more successful. And you you mentioned the uh, I guess this is for the next episode of ours, but you mentioned watching it in English on Toonami. But uh, I forgot they never aired the last episode on Toonami called Eleven, the last one. Huh. I don't remember how I saw it originally. It was on the um, like the VHS and DVD or at that point um, DVD release when that happened. Yeah, I watched it back in the Toonami era, and I don't remember how I saw the last episode back then. I mean, it, it probably was DVD. It might have been even on the Miller's Report DVD, but like that, it did come out. They may have aired it eventually. Um, you know what? I do know how I saw it. I saw I got it from Blockbuster. Ah, uh, <laughs> yep, yeah. No Blockbuster. There is like one left. <laughs> And, and when you talk about shows that aired in America in 2001, um, some stuff can get weird. I watched uh, um, one of the earlier series um, on DVD that I rented from Hastings. So the the, the three people from Texas who get that reference. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right. I bought, a, I bought a Transformer from Hastings' website. That was a Hastings exclusive about a year before they went out of business. Oh, Nice. It's the only Hastings exclusive transformer I can think of. Um, I just, sure. I just sent you guys a picture um, because uh, you know we, we're learning that she's probably going to be breaking up with Mikkel during this episode. Uh, I found one picture on the internet of BB. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, she's she's out there living her life or something. I was hoping like it would be a sly reference to like another character that you see in another show later, but it's not. BB's out. Yeah. It was definitely a shame. By the way, BB that was so lazy. It was just BB. <laughs> It'd be funny if BB was like SEMA from Xeon or something. <laughs> well, there's always that chance, right? We can always write con things. And they might. Yeah, don't, don't tell them they can't. <laughs> the next thing you know, uh, BB is going to be... That, that's the, that was the real full frontal. <laughs> <laughs> A blue clone of Char of BB. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, next episode, we will tackle episode seven and eight and Miller's report. So uh, make sure you, you get a hold of those before you listen. Um, until then, thanks for listening. Uh, you can reach us at New Type Flash Pod on Twitter. Um, and all of our Twitter handles are in the bio because. 
I'm not going to say them again. <laughs> so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. And yeah, we just recorded the last one. He didn't want to say it again. <laughs>